Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. or a good evening to you however you may be listening and wherever you may be listening this is the man on the post podcast and this is one of our many daily world cup special editions and we have uh, had the honor i don't know if we did it drawing out of a hat but for some way through some lining of the stars in the cosmos we have got the best day of all because we got the day when there are four games to talk about but for some reason, we've only got half an hour to do with it, so we've got to sort of get through this quickly. I'll start off, as we always do, by introducing our panellists, and I shall start off by introducing Dave. Dave, how are you? Not too bad. A little exhausted. 7 a.m. start for the first game today. Oh, I'm starting to feel it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I was going to say, towards the end of the, uh, what was the last game, the Croatia-Nigeria game, I was sort of, as much as you look forward to the idea of four games in a day, you are just sort of tired and all footballed out at the end of it. So let's hope we've still got enough energy to get through it. And also joining me tonight is Scott Monroe. Scott, an evening to you. Good evening. Uh, I'm probably as much as you guys, I'm a bit footballed out. As much as I was enjoying for today, four games in well, pretty much in about eight or nine hours is a bit of a killer. Is the thing that if they were if they were four games that all of the same quality and you know atmosphere and everything like that of Portugal Spain, no one would complain a bit. Not absolutely, absolutely. But it's but it's the fact that we got Peru, Denmark, and Nigeria just sort of dragged those games, just dragged it out a bit. You know, steady. <laughs> And I said, they were, I'm just saying, they had a lot to live up to <coughs> after yesterday. You were always going to, it's, you know, it's a hard act to follow after what happened with Portugal and Spain. But we've only got a short time to do this, so let us kick straight off with the first game of the day. And it is France against Australia. Uh, basically, what we're going to do with this is Dave has decided he's going to take the South American teams. Scott's going to take the European teams. So, Scott, I'm going to go to you. Mm-hmm. What was your big takeaway of of the game was it you know the var you know how good or bad it's been you know, not just this game but saw the whole tournament was it france having a bit of a slow sluggish start i think i mentioned on the whatsapp group that they were seemed to do everything okay but their final ball their final pass or shot just wasn't quite there or did you take away that the fact that the australians sort of gave a good performance and you know Showed enough about themselves that they could cause, you know, cause quite a stir in this group. What was, what was your takeaway from the game? I would probably say all the above. Um, I wasn't. I was very disappointed in France. They were very sluggish. Um, it took him. I would probably say just after Australia equalised to really stamp their authority in their game. As soon as they took off Griezmann and Tolisso and then put on um, Giroud and Fakir. And then Matuidi came on and added a bit more balance to, to the team. I think me and Dave probably said the same thing about Argentina, where they're a team of indiv- individuals and where 
Australia are actually a team because what I've seen is like Bert van Meijerwijk has got them actually well drilled. And they looked very, very good defensively and looked good to um, hit France on the counter-attack. But um, I was just very, very disappointed in France. They were very slow. Um, it seems to me that Didier Deschamps has like, not picked his best best start in 11. I would probably pick Giroud ahead of uh, Usman Dembele. Add a bit more balance to her attack. Uh, feeling that France got away with it and it was a bit, a bit of a, a tough, bitter pill to swallow for, uh, for Australia. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, and Anton Griezmann came off. You know, he's sort of seen as the talisman of mm. the of the French side. And we saw during the last Euros that the the, the way they seemed to be playing their best was that sort of Giroud up front as the big physical number nine, mm. with Antoine Griezmann playing just behind him. Whereas now Griezmann's been sort of played into a false number nine because they've got that rotating three up front of him. Uh, Mbappe and uh, and Dembele, obviously. So, do you think that Didier Deschamps is now going to see that and in future go with you know what was what made them so successful at the Euros and that you know giving Olivier Giroud a start? So, I mean, he's been starved of you know obviously of the national team and a club level as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think because uh, with Griezmann in his club form, he plays with Diego Costa up front, so you got the big man, little man, and. Um, Griezmann of Costa for Atletico. I, I really hope that Deschamps sees this and maybe can that add to a bit more attacking talent up front as well with Fakir coming in. I know he's been linked with Liverpool and what I saw a bit of today, it adds a bit more dynamism into the side. So I just really hope that Deschamps sees in the next couple of games you can add uh, Giroud up top and maybe drop either probably Dembele or Tolisso to add him into the side. As you mentioned, France sort of kicked into gear once Australia equalised, but the game itself kicked into life with the introduction. I think this is the first proper use of VAR in this tournament. Yeah. With um, I forget I forget who the uh, chasing defender was, but Antoine Griezmann was away. He got tripped. Uh, the referee gave no penalty. About a 10, 20 second delay. Then he went to the VAR, looked at the screen overturned it and gave a penalty. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the aftermath of it. Do you think the use of VAR was right? And do you think that the decision was right? Uh, I think the use of VAR was right. I'm I'm a bit 50-50 on the decision because you can clearly see on probably about five or ten slow-mo replays, which was shown on the BBC, um, he clearly gets a little bit of a touch on the ball, but the follow-through takes out the man. So there's a bit of a doubt. Uh, seeing it live, like first time, I thought it was a bit harsh, and I'm still thinking in that same way. But the use of VAR was good. It's like the use of the uh, the referral system in cricket, where you it's to to um, stop the howler. And I'm just hoping a bit more further in the tournament, you can clearly see that the use of VAR is actually quite good for the game. Yeah, and we saw VAR being used uh, later on in the day. Again, for the life of me, I can't remember which one it was. Someone tell me. VAR uh, was, was it you... the Argentina game? Was the Argentina? Was it for the no, was... no it was Peru, Peru penalty? Peru penalty. Yeah, that was it. Thank you. We'll get onto that later. See, footballed out. I've just everything. <laughs> everything that didn't happen in the last ninety minutes has just gone from my mind. The game you're talking about feels like two weeks ago to me. That's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it like that. getting the game of four, the day of four games seemed like a good choice, but in hindsight, we probably should have taken the day off. Just sort of as a finishing thing. Now, obviously, France, you know, were favourites to go through and have started and have started well. You know, they would have wanted the three three points. It's got them that little bit of a gap 
you know, of where they of where they should be. Do you think Australia showed enough to say, right, they can maybe sneak the second spot coming up oh, against Peru and Dad in their upcoming games? I can probably see them sneaking a result. They can do what they did against France, maybe against Peru or and obviously Denmark in the remaining two games and probably sneak something. They defended brilliantly and then uh, they kept Griezmann really quiet. Uh, is it Trent? Is it Trent Sainsbury or Salisbury? So Trent Salisbury was probably the star man on the pitch. So if they can just get more game time, well, actually not more game time, more out of him at the back, they could probably sneak it out of it. I was impressed with um, Aaron Moy who uh, Huddersfield. Yeah, and uh, he was probably the best. Um, sorry, in my eyes, he was the best player in the park. He, he got he got stuck in. He wasn't afraid to get in the French players' faces. Uh, him and Yedinak in the midfield look good. So if they can get the the, the big players going, and maybe um, there's a player that I've seen in the last couple of years, Mas Luongo, who used to play for Swindon, who's now at QPR. I was hoping he would get run out, but instead of Rogic. But um, I could probably see Australia sneaking something. I, second, maybe, after, after watching the Denmark game today, I think they look a bit more solid defensively. Um, but you never know. It's a World Cup. Anything can happen. Indeed, anything can happen. And with that, we've got to move quickly on to the next game. And this is why I bring in Dave. And I suppose the main story coming into it was everything that happened the night before. The, the Cristiano Ronaldo-Lionel Messi debate. Cristiano Ronaldo putting in a great performance against Spain. And now it was a case of, right, Lionel Messi over to you, what can you do? And this is a game that everyone was sort of looking forward to. It was the contrast of two styles, you know, the sort of efficiency, teamwork, you know, route one to an extent, if you would, of Iceland against the neat, uh, nice attacking play of Argentina. So just brief, Lionel Messi sort of was very quiet in this game. Do you think it was because he had all the stuff from Ronaldo hanging over him? Or do you think that it was just an incredibly good performance from the Iceland team sort of as a whole? Or do you think it could have been a combination of the both, of the two? I think you've got the wrong shadow hanging over him to begin with, Matt. The shadow that's hanging over Lionel Messi is not Cristiano Ronaldo. It's, it's the man who was smoking cigars in the stand in Maradona. And, you know, I, I've watched Argentina stumble and fumble their way through qualifying down here. And that's what it was. They were very, very, very fortunate to even be at this World Cup. Um, it, it beggars belief. It belies the situation that they have and, and the attacking talent that they have, um, that they should be in that position. Um, they've also got a very he's a great coaching, Jorge Sampaoli. A bit mad, but uh, he, he, he knows what he's doing. And it, it's almost like trying to shoehorn Messi into this system that just never seems to work for them. And as I say, I've watched all their qualifiers. I've watched all their... You know, Messi does have a good game for, for Argentina here and there, but they are very, very rare occurrences, whereas Ronaldo seems to be able to drag his 11 others along with him. Um, they, they may not just be as high profile as the, the Dybalas, the Agueros, the Higuains of this world. Um, Argentina have a problem with the back, I think, that, that, that's equally as, as confusing as, as the problem they have going forward. Um, you know, I did a pod yesterday and I, I sort of suggested that they, they may, you know, they have all the talent in the world to go far in this tournament, but they also have the unpredictable form that they could fall flat on their ass before they even get out of the group. 
And on today's showing, now don't get me wrong, I, I want to talk a little bit about Iceland. They were magnificent. And I've seen a lot of people giving them pelters on Twitter today uh, about this defensive football and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm from Northern Ireland. We nearly got there playing the same style of football. That, you know, that solid wall hit you on the break. And, you, you know, it's not illegal. It's definitely not illegal to play the, play the sport that way. Um, and today, Iceland were magnificent. They just carried on from where they left off in the Euros. And, you know, it was one thing to beat England at the Euros, but I think drawing against Argentina, Mahap, that's, that, that's, that's a hell of a statement they've just made today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I sort of echo your statements of, you know, this whole defensive football. And as I, I said, because you know, I'm a Fulham fan and we had this sort of debate um, with Cardiff City fans sort of towards the running of the season. You know, we were playing nice, attractive possession, uh, attacking football. Cardiff were playing defensive, route one sort of stuff. And I was saying, hang on, Cardiff have more points than us. You can't really complain about the style of play. And it and it it come it came across as sort of snobbery, sort of oh I'd rather you know stay down playing attractive football than go up watching that rubbish sort of thing. So I absolutely am on the whole uh, Iceland defensive mentality thing. If you're from Iceland tonight, do you really care? I'm sure they're on cloud no, nine. You, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter to them. Exactly, and exactly, and all credit to them. You know, they you know they went to get a result, and and they got a draw, which is probably the best they could have hoped for. Now, just touching on what you said with uh, Argentina and their form. Now they're in a group with Croatia, with the likes of Manzu. We're going to touch on them later with the likes of Mandzukic and Perisic and Rakitic and Modric. Are teams going to be looking at that Argentina defense and thinking, "Hang on, we can get at these guys." Well, you know, let's start with the goalkeeper straight away. Romero was injured. Uh, Caballero today didn't look what you would class as it. Well, you know, we see him in the EPL. Um, he's not a top, top, top keeper. And when you have, you know, that sort of dodgy defence in front of them, um, and again, I, I can't for the life of me understand why they went for, like, a two-man holding midfield against Iceland. What? Like, this is Argentina. You know, that's, that's not the way they're meant to play. And, and, and it's all almost like they're handicapping themselves before they even go in. And, and again, you know, that can be the pressure of the country down here. You know, like I'm sitting here in Brazil and this whole place tonight is just this massive trembling ball of tension because they play tomorrow, even though they're, they're, they're likely to win. Uh, you know, the, before this tournament uh, kicks off, there's trepidation. And I can assure you, you know, that the Argentinians are of the same mentality, they're the same... Uh, you know, South Americans, that Latin style, uh, they are under immense pressure to perform from, from their country. And then, you know, you double that with Messi because he's got, as I say, the, the Maradona shadow from the stands even, you know. Um, he's in an unwinnable situation. I think he's a magnificent footballer, really magnificent footballer. But I think the weight of expectation that, that Argentina has placed on him, he, he's not capable of living up to it. And and for that reason, I don't believe you'll, you will see, you know, the Ronaldo and uh, Messi fanboys will have a field day this World Cup because Ronaldo will come out of it with all the glory and poor old Messi won't get very much in my opinion and that's and that's down to him just not being able to fit the system and, and a beggar's belief I say it again that, that you can't fit a player like Lionel Messi into a system with the players you have around him and make it work it beggar's belief yeah absolutely and I'll sort of uh, finish off this game by asking a similar sort of question to I asked Scott with uh, with Australia, Argentina are probably, despite this setback, are probably going to win the group. So it is now really a fight for second place. 
Do you think Iceland, with the confidence that they have got from this game, again, do you see them having the potential to go up against against Nigeria and Croatia in their last two games and maybe get that second spot? Or do you think it's still a step too far for them? I think you're being very generous awarding uh, Argentina top spots straight away. Uh, I, I think I've Argentina should get top spots. I, I, again, I keep going back. I've I watched them stumble through qualifying. I'm not seeing anything different than what I saw through qualifying, if you know what I mean, uh, which would lead me to believe that second place might might, might be their lot. Um, you know, as I say, look, they have the players to step up and go far, but the evidence isn't there. Certainly, and if you take their last 10 games, the, look at what Spain did to them. Spain completely destroyed them. Okay, Messi wasn't playing all right. But that's, that's what you got without Messi. This is the best they're doing with Messi. So, uh, you know, Croatia look, uh, look a decent side. They have a very good midfield. And what's more, they have such depth in that midfield. Um, you know, I, I would, at this moment in time, looking at it, I would have Croatia and Iceland going through. Ooh, wow, that's a bit of a... That's a, that's a hot. That's a hot take. Hot take. It is, but but again, I, I live in South America and I, and I've seen just how bad Argentina have been. Uh, but I refuse to write them off a hundred percent. I'm only ninety nine. They they do have the ability, the players and the manager to click in. But he's had a short time with that group. He's not had a great deal of time to ingrain his his methodology into them. Um, I was expecting to see a change today, to be honest, in the Argentina side because Sampali has that. And I was talking to the guys from Hand Pod actually on Twitter during the game or after the game, and they were saying, you know, more or less that he hasn't had the competitive games that he would have needed to instill it, and that's what they believe. And, and they're very worried about the progress as well. Yeah, so we move on from one South American country to the other that's sort of taken prominence in this World Cup, and that's Peru. They have sort of been, along with Iceland, have been a good a good underdog story. You know, they haven't made it since 1982. I think I saw somewhere 50,000 fans have gone from Peru to Russia. You know, all credit to them. You know, have have a blast, have a ball. Um, all this other stuff. There's the controversy before the tournament with Guerrero about whether or not he should or shouldn't play. And that all sort of combines in, because they played Denmark today, lost 1-0. And do you think that the sense of the, the the occasion got to them so got to them somewhat? Because there were a lot of wasted chances by the Peruvians. And that's going to be something that, you know, came back to haunt them today and could easily come back to haunt them the rest uh, through the rest of the group stage. Well, again, they they got out of the South American group by way of the playoff. They beat uh, New Zealand in in the playoff to get here, which I think is you know you talk about uh, you know Australia and whatnot. Um, you know they're aware of those types of things that you know they've played against those sides of sides. But what it meant to that country getting to that World Cup, to getting to this World Cup. I mean, I think the party went on for about two weeks whenever whenever they actually got there, and again that. There's a difference between a European nation going and a South American nation going to a World Cup. You know, basically, the country here comes to a standstill. Certainly, the, the times of the games for this World Cup in South America, you know, 7 a.m., 9 a.m., midday and 3 o'clock, you know, it's all within the working hours. Um, you, you know, so the countries come to a standstill while the games are on. Um, and, and today, I think you've hit the nail on the head in as much as the expectation on them kind of got them by far the better team. By far and away, there was only one team on the pitch for my money. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, Tapia, who has been magnificent and truly magnificent, he marshaled Messi uh, in Buenos Aires 
absolutely 100% spot on. Today lost Christian Eriksen for one second and it ended up being a goal. Uh, they huffed and they puffed. They did everything they possibly could except put the ball in the back of the net. The penalty, well, the less said about it, the better. But I worried at halftime. I actually tweeted out, hopefully they can get their heads together. You know, uh, Cuevo had to be carried off the pitch in tears. And there's the the second issue with South American side. The heart's on the sleeve. The emotions are there for everybody to see. Even before a game ends, it's one thing to cry when you miss a penalty if you, if you lose the game. That was at halftime. You have 45 minutes to redeem yourself. Get up on your feet and get on with it uh, would, be, would be my message to him. But again, we saw it with Brazil in their, in their own World Cup. The emotion, this tide of emotion. I, I often joke about South American people as being emotionally incontinent. And that is an example of it. But I don't think they're finished in this World Cup, Matt. I really don't. I think that that will serve as a lesson to them. And they will want to come back. I'm, I'm sure everybody's seen the, the, the videos of their, their fans on, on YouTube and whatnot in Russia. And, and they'll support them heart and soul. My God, a man even put on four stone to get a special needs seat. <laughs> I'm sure. Was, I hope he was able to get out of it today. Uh, whatever the penalty was awarded, but uh, it, it's just it, it's the way the rule down here. And I, I, they're my dark horse for this tournament. I refuse to believe that they're finished. Um, but I'm desperately sad for them. Do you think it was the right decision to put Guerrero on the bench, given that he is, you know, sort of the talisman for this Peruvian team? Obviously, there was, as I mentioned earlier, there was the controversy off the pitch leading into it, but. No, again, do you think it was the right decision to leave him on the bench or should he have started? Uh, I think it was probably the right idea. To be honest with you, if you look at the start that Peru had, would you have said that they really, really missed him? They were, they were excellent. They, they, they came out all guns blazing. 10, 15 minutes, the, the pace sort of went out of it a, a little bit. But, you know, given all that's happened and whatnot, I think it was probably, um, you, you know, it was probably the right thing to do. Uh, and as much as bringing them on, I, I can see them starting the next game. To be to be honest with you, um, and I and I think they're going to need it. To be honest, yeah, they, they, no, their their backs are against the wall. There's no doubt about it, Matt. But sometimes that's when you know, and, and and you know what Scott's talking about there. You know, individuals and teams, and and the one thing about this this um, Peruvian side is they are a team. That that was their first defeat in fifteen that we saw today. They they're they're fifteen unbeaten in qualifying and so on, and um, you, you know. A lot of people thought they were there as, as whipping boys. I still don't believe that they are that. Okay. And so now we uh, wrap up our South American condition as a rattle through this because our boss and uh, editor-in-chief Ross has said that we've got to get this wrapped up in half an hour, so we best go quick. Uh, Croatia-Nigeria, not really a lot to say about it other than um, a good, uh, decent, efficient performance from Croatia and Nigeria sort of flattered to see they've got some decent players. Uh, Victor Moses being one of them. John Obi Mikel, who I'm amazed is still going because he's been, he's been around forever. Wilfred Adidi as well. Um, Sam just, oh, Scott, Sam, Scott, sorry, long day. Just, <laughs> I've been called your, worse. I've yeah. Called what, worse. what was your take? What was your takeaway from, from, from this game? If, uh, if anything, because it wasn't exactly the, the greatest spectacle. No, it's the last of four games which started at 11 o'clock and ended 45 minutes ago. Uh, not a very good game. Croatia did all they could. Did, to be honest, they did what they needed to do to get over the line. Um, a scrappy first goal, which was um, the own goal, which he it megged himself and crossed the line and the penalty, which was WWE-esque defending, pretty much 
got him round, uh, got Mandzukic round his neck. Um, Nigeria didn't really do much in the whole of the game. They flattered to deceive. Only Victor Moses and um, Wobi pretty much was the only cut and th- uh, cut up top. I really can't see them getting anything else in the next two games. Um, I think Croatia will be the guy to watch out for and to top the group. I'm, I'm just seeing, I'm just looking at the uh, fixture list right now, and it is, it's Argentina versus Croatia in the next game, and that Ooh, will, that, gonna... more, that more or less decides who tops the group. Definitely. And um, Nigeria got Iceland. I can see Iceland picking up the confidence they got today. And probably sticking a couple past Nigeria, and then Nigeria have Argentina in the final game, where Argentina will probably have to get something out of the out of it to um, qualify for the next stages. Yeah, they'll need Lionel Messi to pull off exactly what he did in qualifying and yeah. you know, pull out the hat again. And just on touch of Lionel Messi, I always I like to have a debate at some stage. You know, we're we're reviewing the games, but we've got enough time for a quick debate. And it goes back to the Ronaldo Messi debate, the the Ronaldo Messi topic. A lot of a lot has been made, and I'll admit of one of it that you know one game does not a great player make. But do you think that it is fair that we are sort of you know after Cristiano Ronaldo's performance yesterday and Lionel Messi's let's so, let's say quiet performance today? Are we should we be judging these things on a game by game basis and opponent by opponent basis, or really should we wait and hold off our greatest player of all time? conversations until the end of the tournament and Dave I shall start with you I think it's pointless the greatest of all time because neither one of them are that or even close to it uh you know if you're my age you've seen you've seen a lot better um and like don't get me wrong they're they're in the question mark maybe of of the top 10 to 15 players ever play the game uh without a doubt but look I, I'm, I'm gonna go old school on you here I, I grew up watching the likes of George Best and so on, you know, who, who wore boots. They didn't wear these lovely nippled little shoes, uh, who kicked footballs that weighed about 15 kilograms when they were wet. Um, they played on pitches where it was like having telephone directly strapped to your legs. So, you know, look, Cristiano Ronaldo scored three goals yesterday. One was lucky, one was a penalty, one was the most beautiful free kick you'll ever see. But what did he do bar that? He's not tracking much ground. Like, one thing about Messi, at least he's tracking around the place. I, I, you know, Ronaldo has been a magnificent footballer. And I don't want to, I don't want to say, I, I'm not degrading him in any way or trying to. I'm just saying there's been better before him. And, you know, kids today, and, and especially, you know, around Asia and whatnot, they, they, don't, they don't seem to open their eyes to the fact that the game didn't begin when Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Lionel Messi was born. There was an awful lot went on before that. And, you know, this is, this is something that's going to rumble on. Even after they retire, it's going to rumble on because it's the age of social media. It is a stigma of the age of social media. Um, only the here and now matters. You know, if you had old clips of, of Best, Eusebio, Maradona, you know, they are there for Maradona and so on. But in the same amounts that we have for Messi and Ronaldo, you know, you, you'd be talking, I don't think we, the, the, the conversation would even exist. And that would be my two cents on it. Trying to keep it quick for you. Yeah, thanks. And I, I'm sort of in your school, you know. I'm not. I don't think Cristiano or Messi are the greatest of all time. But it's it's fun to have the you know who's the better of the two. And I'm firmly in the Cristiano Ronaldo camp. Uh, Scott, just quickly, we got someone's breathing heavily. Someone that doesn't like me. my that view. That was me. Sorry. Someone doesn't <laughs> like my view. Who is it? <laughs> okay. 
Scott, I take it you you take issue with my thing, but just just sort of as an overall answer in the debate, you know, what's your take on the whole Ronaldo Messi debate, and should we be having it now? Can we just admire them both for their talents? No, that's a no, that's a cop out answer. I need get off the <laughs> fence. I need one. All I'm going to say is I w- I'm probably I've just turned 31, so I grew up watching football in the 90s, and there was wonderful players in the 90s. For a to- for a player, you have to do it for your club side and do it for your national team, and do it like what Maradona did in the 80s. Um, and um, for now, I can see the hype for Ronaldo because what he did in Euro 2016, but Messi at club level phenomenal but this is a tough one you have to for me you're gonna have to wait until the end of the tournament and see what happens okay fair enough and with that little debate uh and again i sort of agree you know no i've so sort of said lionel messi isn't even the best number isn't even the best number 10 for his club or his country because in country it's maradona and for barcelona it's ronaldinho say again i tweeted a rant out to that effect today um, Do you, uh, you, you know, the, the, let, let's face it, uh, the real Ronaldo played for both Barca and Real Madrid, so that's the, yeah, that they're screwed and both scores there. Um, yeah. You know, Eusebio was, to me, was, was the greatest Portuguese player. Uh, Diego Maradona, for me, is, is everything that Argentina is. Okay, fair enough. That wraps up our little debate at the end of the show. We've just about managed to get it inside half an hour, so that means our boss, Ross, will give us another chance at this, hopefully with a less uh, compact schedule in the future. Uh, all that's left to say is that this has been the Man on the Post podcast, one of our World Cup daily specials, or at least match day daily specials. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, uh, at Man on the Post. You can also follow each of us on Twitter. I'm Re sixty three M A T T R H Y S six three. You can follow Dave, who is I'm at Dave R N six six, and you can follow Scott, who is uh, at Scott underscore Munro. Scott with one T and Munro is M one R O E. Good, you spelled it out. I like that. No confusion <laughs> for anyone else in the future. So all that to say from from us is goodbye. Uh, enjoy the rest of the tournament. We've got another great day of football coming up, and another great podcast to review it with. So all that's left to say is goodbye, and please remember to always have your man post. Uh-huh.